Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. You want to talk about election interference. I mean, how much more of this are we going to see? This is just breaking right now. Judge grants limited gag order in Trump's federal election interference case. When I say just breaking, what was that, 11 11 minutes ago? So just breaking. The judge in the federal election case, so this is the one that's brought by Jack Smith, the special counsel. The Jack Smith who has gone uh, through cases and the Supreme Court has like reversed everything. This Jack Smith. Granted part of the government's request for a narrowly tailored gag order against Trump. The judge, Tanya Chutkin, said that Trump is, and this is the reporting from ABC News. Trump is prohibited from making statements or reposting statements publicly targeting special counsel Jack Smith and his staff, as well as Chutkin staff and the staff of other D.C. district court personnel. Barring him also from making statements about potential witnesses in the case and the substance of their potential testimony. Oh. No, this this isn't uh, an infringement on his right to free speech at all. Tony, there are many times that a judge will put a gag order on. Okay. Maybe, maybe I'll say it differently. If you think that the Trump supporter is going to take this lying down, you're out of your mind. And if you wonder why it is there are people who will not stop supporting Donald Trump, here you go. What are you doing? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Holy hell, they don't get it. I'm not a Trump guy. If he's the nominee, I'll vote for him. I'm not a Trump guy. It's okay. I can recognize what happened when he was in office, and I appreciate it. I can recognize what happened when he lost. I can recognize what happened with the special election. I can recognize what happened uh, with the midterms. He does not bring about winners. My take. And I think anybody could be, nearly anybody, I should say, can be Biden. I can do all that without breaking a sweat. And also note that he's radically popular. Maddeningly popular with the Republican base. I don't know if this is true with the independents just yet. Although you can point me to polling, as I've said, I'm waiting to... I'm I'm waiting for Iowa peoples. That's this is what I'm doing. But don't deny that the people who support him take a look at this regarding uh, January 6th and say you're nuts. There's no crime here. They take a look at the at the Fannie Willis situation in in Fulton County. You brought this because there was no way to pardon the man because this is happening on a state level, and you utilized a RICO predicate or RICO statute to charge nineteen other people in hopes you can catch one little piggy by his toe. We see you, and people are amazed. Of how could they still support Trump? Because they see Trump as being wholly abused by the system and aren't going to stand for it. They're not going to let you abusers get away with it. They'd rather you abusers went straight to hell. You don't understand the Trump supporter. It's not my fault. You're not willing to understand people where they are. It doesn't make any sense to me, but it sure as hell ain't my fault that these people want to act like complete and total schmucks. Gag order.
gag order. And when I say this is election interference, this, all these charges, everything that we have seen coming to affect his run for president, of course it's election interference. It is an obscenity. I'll say it again. I'm not even a Trump guy. What? We're not talking about who I'd rather see as a candidate, who I think would be stronger, who I think brings less baggage, who I think could more win an election. We're just talking about on, the, on just the, on the standards, on the basic. You brought these charges now to interfere with an election. None of you are worthy. Whether it's Jack Smith or Fannie Willis or Alvin Bragg, you all don't give a damn about the republic. You burn it all to the ground for a victory. You know how I know that? You're doing it right now. You're soaking in it. It might as well be an ad for Palmolive. Uh, Palmolive uh, was, was a dish soap, uh, kids. You might want to go uh, to the Wayback Machine there on the interwebs and do some searching. And then you can learn about Calgon Take Me Away. Oh, oh, um, and, oh, wait, was it Calgon Take Me Away or was it Calgon Ancient Chinese Secret, huh? Which you couldn't run those ads anymore. It was Calgon. Which one was the Ancient Chinese Secret? It was, right? It was the same. It was the same. It was still Calgon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ads used to be interesting. Ads actually used to be about the about the product. But that's, that's another subject altogether. This was the breaking news. The regular news is that Jim Jordan is in the lead for speaker, and there's absolutely no saying it's going to happen. There is no saying that Jim Jordan is going to be speaker of the House. But when asked about it, uh, he's got thoughts. Uh, Ann Wagner and, and Mike Rogers uh, publicly saying they would support us, uh, two great members. Uh, who do all kinds of great work. Um, so that was uh, that was that was really really big. So I feel I feel real good about the momentum we have, and I think we're we're real close. So the vote's going to be tomorrow. Do you, do you uh, will you go to the floor even if you don't have 270 we'll votes to locked tomorrow. That's, only, that's how our system our great system works, um, and we will go to the floor tomorrow. Um, it's not about pressuring anybody. It's just about we got to have a speaker. You can open the house and do the work of the American people and help our dearest and closest friend Israel if you don't have a speaker. So we get the speaker, we, we get the house open, and we get to work on uh, the resolution and, and supplemental for, for Israel. Um, and we get back to work for the American people. And that's what I'm committed to doing. And I think it's going to happen tomorrow. Because you had said before you want to have 217 first. Well, I, I do think that's, that's ideal. But uh, as one of my colleagues said in the room, I don't know if, if there's any way to ever get that in the room. Mm-hmm. I would love that. But I think the only way to do this is the way the founders intended is you, uh, you have the vote tomorrow. Um, we've set it for 12 o'clock. And um, I feel real good about it. Will you have more than one ballot if you don't get to 217 on the first? We're going to elect the speaker tomorrow. That's, that's, uh, that's what I think is going to happen. I have no idea if they're going to elect the speaker tomorrow. I have no idea. Um, and I have no idea if it's going to be Jim Jordan. Uh, by the way, this might sound weird coming from me, but it shouldn't because I think I have shown a level of consistency. Um, there is no doubt that Israel is going to come up, and there's no doubt it's going to be a top three conversation. The first conversation has to be setting the vote on the appropriations bills. I'm sorry, the House has to do the work of the House. 
There's already the USS Gerald Ford in the Mediterranean. The USS Eisenhower has already set sail, and the entire strike group has set sail for the Mediterranean. There is already ammunition that has been dropped in Israel. I say this as a matter of just focus. The appropriations bills and setting those votes has to come first. I would argue that uh, a, a conversation about Israel could happen before or after a conversation about the border. And that would be a, that moment would be a question of politics. I might even engage a conversation about the border second. It would be the way of showing a focus of we have to take care of our house, then we can help with other people's houses. And I'm not opposed to a conversation about helping with other people's houses. Once the house gets back in session, then it's going to be the real fascinating conversation. of Oh, you'll do this for Israel, but not Ukraine? Oh, that's going to be an incredible conversation. I'll get to that later this week, I promise. I do not know yet whether Jim Jordan has the votes. Wait, well, I, I really, do I have to play the music? Is that like by law? All right, fine. If you don't have the votes, you don't have the votes. <laughs> You're gonna need congressional approval, and you don't have the votes. There are rules. I didn't. I didn't know it. I don't know if he gets to 217. That was the conversation there at the end. CNN was doing the reporting. Will you get to 217 votes? There are people who have come out and said, I'm not so sure about Jim Jordan. One of those people is Victoria Sparts, Indiana 5th. Full disclosure, my member of Congress. This gets weird. Victoria Sparts is angry as hell at uh, then-Speaker McCarthy. He's not leading. He's not pushing. This isn't working. I'll vote for the ability to bring the motion to vacate to the floor. But she doesn't vote to vacate. She votes to keep Kevin McCarthy in. She allowed for the vote to happen, then didn't vote him out. And now, in a conversation about Congressman Jim Jordan for Speaker of the House, she's like, I don't know. I'm not sure if we're really getting anything better. I don't, I, I don't know. What are you looking at me for like that for? I don't know what it means. Now you've got Mike Johnson waiting in the wings. And you're like, I'm sorry, um, who? Mike Johnson. O-M-G. Are you kidding me right now? I, I, don't think, I don't think you're thinking of the same Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson's from Louisiana. Mike Johnson, based on everything you've ever seen of him in, in, in those uh, committee hearings and asking questions, is quite literally the most normal dude you can find. Normal. He isn't a, a, a crazy man by any stretch of the imagination. He's, he's normal. He's friends with Jim Jordan. He's like, I'll throw my hat in the ring. I'm going to help Jordan get elected. What if Jordan can't get elected? Then maybe I'll be the guy. All right. And what about Patrick McHenry? Who's Patrick McHenry? So glad you asked. He is the speaker pro tem right now. He's the guy with the bow tie. And I believe it's North Carolina. 
who could be an effective interim speaker for the next three to six months to get these appropriations bills through and keep the regular order going. I don't know who's going to become speaker. I have no idea if the vote tomorrow is going to actually happen and if 217 Republicans are on board. I will say that the Republican Party should do away with the Problem Solvers Caucus. Oh, yeah, they, they've got a caucus for everything. You know they have a cigar caucus now? Can we just a little, little something? A little. I have not yet been invited to speak to them, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the, the Problem Solvers Caucus is supposed to be a combination of Republicans and Democrats who want to bring about sensible ideas. And the Republic, the, the, the Problem Solvers Caucus, the, the Democrats on the, in, in this group, said, hey, why don't we just have Patrick McHenry be the speaker? And uh, here, we'll, we'll even throw Democrat votes at it, but here are the things he can't do. You, Democrats, could have kept Kevin McCarthy as speaker and avoided all of this. But you wanted the hysteria. You wanted the insanity because people lose their minds over these things. You wanted this. Now you're going to come and solve the problem? You sound silly. Republicans should drop these people immediately as a total waste of time. No one wants to solve the problem. They want to destroy their political enemy. Now I will admit, this is all just ridiculously embarrassing at this stage of the game. It is. It is what it is what it is. My advice is get a speaker. Get the appropriations bills done first in terms of laid out and getting ready to vote on and then work the other things. And then, if I could be so bold, work very aggressively on going from this five, six, seven, eight seat majority to a 35, 36, 37, 38 seat majority. Then ensure that Democrats get never get another thing passed ever. See? A plan. Like a plan. I'm Tony Katz. 238,000 Ford Explorers are being recalled. It's a rear axle bolt, and I'm telling you right now, if I knew what that is, I would be very concerned. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 238,000 Explorers. Because the bolt can fail, potentially causing, as is reported, a loss of drive power. Or it'll allow the SUV to roll away while in park, which I got to assume is not good. This is uh, 2020 through 2022 model years. Dealers will replace a bushing and the rear axle bolt. They'll inspect it, uh, the cover for damage near the bolt hole and replace the cover if damage is found. That is that is the most manly I have sounded in weeks. Look at me. Well, I'm all about cars, uh, the bolt and the and the bushing and the and the bolt hole. Honestly, I don't know how you could do the say the word bolt hole and not sound like Norm Macdonald. Uh, you see, uh, uh, you gotta put the bushing uh, near the near the bolt hole. The joke tells itself at that stage of the game. The minute you give it the Norm voice, the second. You see the problem. See the problem is uh, most people don't understand uh, what a what a what a bolt hole even does. But uh, I'll tell you, it's uh, it's not the same without a, without without a fresh bushing. Honestly, honestly, I could do an hour and a half 
of just that, iterations of that. Hands down, no question, an hour and a half, not even trying. When you do the voice, it just flows. It just flows. Uh, You should see your uh, local dealer uh, and uh, have, have that checked. Joe Manchin is thinking about an independent run for president, which would signal to me that things are not going very well when it comes to his run for uh, for Senate. I, I, I have discussed this before. I'm wondering if we're now going to get into what happens if we get into this multiplicity of of people running as independents? I was looking at this this data about Trump. Where was it? About how Trump does against Biden, and Trump punches Biden. I, I, I'm, I'm going to talk more about it. But what's interesting about this this polling is that in this polling, Robert Kennedy is in the high single digits, 7, 8, or 9% is where he's at. Now, you'd, he would rather he was 10%, but he is still getting discussed. Robert Kennedy is still in the mix. What happens if you now add a second independent candidate? Do the, do the no-labels type people really have the kind of, of attraction that can poll 15% of the electorate because Manchin wouldn't poll near anybody from a Trump. And you can argue that Robert F. Kennedy might pull equally from Republicans and Democrats. You put Manchin in there. Where does Biden, where does Biden have support? Biden needs support from the classic places, specifically black Americans. I don't know if he's got it. Never mind the idea that, that you know, not all black Americans think alike, because that's one of the, the crazier things out there. Oh, they all have this characteristic, so therefore they're all going to do the same thing. That's not the way it works. That's just, that's just the silliest, that's just the silliest thing I, I've, I've ever heard. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. Put in two independent candidates, I think things get fascinating. And really bad for the Democratic Party. It's a great example of people not falling in line, which is super rare. If the Democratic Party had allowed Kennedy to feel like he was somehow part of the party, he would be less of a threat than he is right now. You did to Kennedy what you did to Bernie. You decided that the voters only had one choice, this very old man who's not capable. The voters want something different. That seems obvious. You told them no and to sit down and to shut up. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. Now, the fact that Robert Kennedy has some, uh, you know, is able to attract uh, people on the political right. Well, these people are not conservatives without question. But Manchin... Manchin could attract some people and they would all be either some level of undecider or 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 Biden voters.
I really wonder how this is going to play. Can't be good. I'm Tony Katz. It was the Jaguars 37, it was the Colts 20, and it wasn't even that close. In every aspect of that game on Sunday, the Colts got outclassed. The Colts got outmaneuvered. The Colts got flat-out beat. Never mind the play of Gardner Minshew. Never mind the play of the defense. This was a game that what they weren't ready. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today. There's no way any rational person thinks this team was ready to play. Slow, lethargic, out of place, out of touch. Oh, yeah, an incredible first drive and nothing else to show for it. JMV joins me right now from 93.5, The Fan. He is the voice of sports in Indiana, and you could tell me that Garter Minshew, 33 for 55, 329 yards, a touchdown and three interceptions. The interceptions aren't even the story in my view, JMV. It's that he threw 55 times. So is this game the fault of coaching, or is this game really fall on Gardner Minshew? Well, no, Minshew was terrible, Tony. Don't get me wrong on that, but I didn't think it was like rookie head coach Shane Steichen really covered himself in a great deal of glory either. Uh, because you're right. They started out the game in that first drive. He goes nine for nine. And you're thinking, all right, well, you're just trying to loosen things up. Maybe take some shots down the field. And ultimately they did. But most of those shots were intercepted or almost intercepted. And really the most puzzling part was the strongest part of this offense would be the duo that you're going to have at running back. One that's proven it so far this year in Zach Moss, Tony, and the other that is still trying to prove himself after coming back and missing four weeks and getting that extension to Jonathan Taylor. And when you're talking about, I think the comparison was, what, 22 to 8 in terms of throwing and running the football in the first half. Now, granted, once they got behind, you knew they were going to have to throw it, and they did start chucking it everywhere. But honestly, Tony, they were throwing it everywhere prior to that. So, yeah, the game plan didn't make a great deal of sense. And when you look at – Jacksonville, I think Adam Archuleta kept saying this on the broadcast yesterday. It's not like the Colts are at all trying to take Jacksonville out of their comfort zone, and they didn't offensively. And this is a team, Tony, that you look back in week number one, you could make an argument. You really could make an argument that on that particular day, the Colts look like, for three-plus quarters, the better team. And then in the fourth quarter, the wheels fell off and they gave up 14 and ended up losing to Jacksonville. But this was not at all reminiscent of what we saw in that week number one, even in that loss. And certainly it was disappointing coming on the heels of a great performance. I mean, one of those performances where everything was going against it. You know, you had a, a losing streak at home, a losing streak against the Titans. You got the whole Jonathan Taylor stuff swirling 24 hours prior and you go out and you do something that you hadn't done in seven tries at Lucas Oil Stadium and in five tries against the Titans, and then to follow it up with that mess yesterday, from Minshew to Steichen, and the defense doesn't go without obviously a great deal of criticism either. It was just an overall lead balloon of a performance in a spot that we're used to going back to 20, 2014 and against the team where you really needed to show something because just didn't show up at all yet. So you asked a couple of questions. I wanted to make sure I got the answers. Uh-huh. The passing attempts for the Colts were 55. The rushing yeah. attempts for the Colts were 17. A total of 44 yards, but four of those yards were gotten by Gardner Minshew, which means Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor, 40 yards total. 
on 15 rushing attempts. What? Not that we got behind early in the game. It seemed early that there was a total abandoning of the running game. We have been through this with Colts offenses, whether we're talking about Frank Reich or others. The screaming of run the damn ball. Why don't you just start with that? There's no doubt. I, the, the game plan, you could tell, was to try to loosen things up on the pass and get a rhythm going. And you could argue they went down and got three points. They did that. But at the same time, to set the stage to continue to try to do that and then to go down the field without really paying too much attention to the running game, yeah, it was a faulty game plan, to say the least. And people like Shane Steichen overall, like what he has done so far with this team. But, again, that was not a shining moment whatsoever for him yesterday in a game where they they needed some diversity here. I mean, that's what you're looking at with this running back core, this tandem, is the fact that if you're looking at it from a team concept, they're the most valued, the most productive that you're going to find. And with the little use that they had, and granted, you can look further, they had to start passing when they got down, you know, two scores, three scores, whatever, but the deed was already done. So the game plan made zero sense. And Gardner Minshew was just an absolute disaster yesterday. It went against everything that everybody tried to argue about. Well, you know, when you get Minshew in there and Minshew mania, you know, he's not going to turn the football over. He's going to give you a chance to win. He every bit did everything he can do yesterday to give you that chance to lose, which ultimately, Tony, they did. Talking to you, JMV, I got a hard time pinning this. On Minshew, I should say, talking to JMV from 93.5, 107.5, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana, 33 of 55. You didn't, you, you, you didn't give him enough protection from an offensive line, and he threw for 329 yards. So I, I don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he had a good game. He had a lousy game. But I think I'm putting it up to a lousy game, not a lousy quarterback. You? No, he was a lousy quarterback yesterday, too. It was a lousy game. Don't get me wrong. But, he but was a lousy he's not a lousy yesterday. quarterback. That's my point. Well, I mean, in, in those circumstances, let, let's look at it this way. Um, you can make an argument that Jacksonville had a week's worth of preparation for Gardner Minshew. It wasn't one of those things where, you know, you, you looked at Anthony Richardson, and now because he's injured and going out, this is what you have. They had a week's worth of preparation for Gardner Minshew, and it looked like – that they did. It looked like that they had everything covered. And, and here's the thing about Minshew that stood out to me. We, we've talked about this, you and I, before, Tony. His decision-making has been on point all the time so far. And then yesterday, when he threw three interceptions, which easily could have been five or six, those three interceptions, there wasn't much pressure on him. I mean, he was in a pocket. He was throwing off the back foot. The one into the end zone to Michael Pittman Jr. didn't even get close to him. No, He's throwing exactly. off the back foot. Had a wounded duck that looked like it was going sideways there. So I'm going to ask. I'm going to jump in. That, the interceptions were on him. I'm going to jump in. Was he injured after that first series? Did he injure his finger? Did he injure something? Mm, this is what oh, we're going to find I don't out. I think so. Nobody, nobody said a word about it unless we find out later on today that he was. It's nothing I noticed, and nobody said anything about it. Now I will tell you this: Ryan Kelly told the locker room yesterday that basically Jacksonville did yesterday what they did defensively in week number one. And that's why they came out and, and threw the ball in the fashion in which they did to try to get them out of that base defense that they showed in week number one. And I didn't go back and watch it again because, for goodness sake, we had to sit through it once and once was enough. But that's why it, it, it's kind of uh, – it's, it's tough to think about with Shane Steichen and, and the things he's done so right so far – 
to go in that game and to really botch the opening in that fashion. Um, and then obviously the quarterback making the, the, the turnovers was awful to the interceptions, but it, it just, it's tough for me to come up with a reason why they, they started out that game. Why that was the game plan, especially if Jacksonville came out in a similar fashion defensively as they did in week one. And again, that was with Anthony Richardson, but the Colts looked good in that game for the most part up until they ran out of gas in the fourth. I, it, it really goes, goes without explanation, Tony, the game plan. Well, we're, we are focusing on the offense. Maybe we should move uh, to the yeah. defense because they played that first half like they had never actually played football before. That was ugly and miscues, wide-open guys. I have no idea where uh, Zaire Franklin was. I have no idea where Shaquille uh, Leonard really was in terms of, of levels of pressure. I, I mean, we got three sacks on the day. I just – I'm, I'm – almost surprised because there was just a lot of just seeming like, huh, where do I go now? It was a reminiscent of a year ago, right, Tony? Because the offense would be so stinking bad that we would forget about how bad the defense was and the defense would get a pass. The defense get a pass all last year because of just how bad the offense was and how big of a circus the team overall, the organization was. But no, it wasn't a shiny moment for them either. Here's the one thing that you know, Tony, in that secondary. I mean, you got a rookie out there with Juju Brents, no doubt about that. He took his lumps, had a pick from Warren Central, but also took his lumps as a rookie might. But going into it, that secondary had given up the most big plays in the NFL. And you saw it. They got crossed up a couple of different times back there. One led to a touchdown pass and catch to Christian Kirk. That's just, unfortunately, I think what you're going to get. What you have to have is a consistency of getting after the quarterback. They let, they really did leave um, Trevor Lawrence to, to make plays with his legs, and that's what you wanted to stay away from. He you know, built himself a little bit more time, and then obviously in that secondary, if you leave it up to them, there are more times than not going to screw it up, and that's what you saw yesterday with that. Some miscues you mentioned, and then – you know, the, the couple of first downs you get by virtue of jumping offside, I mean, that's just bad form as well up front with guys that should know better. Yeah, both sides of the football, dramatic issues in that loss yesterday. Now let's talk about the future because Anthony Richardson on injured reserve and the debate and, and I don't know if the decision's been made, uh, probably has about uh, season-ending season surgery, which means it's Gardner Minshew, Sam Ellinger, and I'm forgetting the name of the guy they just picked up. Kellen Mond out of Texas A&M. That is absolutely it. Um, <laughs> the... the Colts have just resigned to, okay, this is where we're going forward. This is how we're going forward. We never anticipated going deep in a playoff run anyway. We might not make the playoffs at all. Let Anthony Richardson get healthy. That's the plan, right? Yeah, you know, it's funny about it. I mean, I think, and I don't know how you view it too, when it started with Cleveland coming up on Sunday, it kind of seems like with these games, the, the good thing they have going for them is their schedule is really easy. That probably yesterday, Tony, was the best offense they're going to see unless, you know, Cincinnati picks it up to where we believe Cincinnati should be offensively when the Colts see them later on this year. But, I mean, it's not a who's who of quarterbacks we got to face moving forward here. I mean, who knows if it's going to be Deshaun Watson or P.J. Walker coming up on Sunday and then, what, Derek Carr with New Orleans, you know, you Mac Jones, who's a mess in New England – so it's not a who's who, and it's an easy schedule, but really you look at this team with the Colts, they didn't give you a lot of reason to have a great deal of confidence. So I think all these games are coin flips, and 
I think it depends on the injuries of the team who they face, and I think it also depends on what everybody else within their own division does, if anybody else can get Jacksonville a couple of different times because now the Jaguars hold the tiebreaker exclusively over the Colts, which is incredibly disappointing. So I I don't think it's an end-all, be-all with that loss yesterday, but I think the excitement built for Tennessee probably went a little bit overboard. I don't blame Colts fans for going overboard with it because they haven't had a lot to cheer about. But I think we saw a lot more of what that team is like and probably will be like further down the road than really what we wanted to believe after that went over Tennessee. I don't know. I, I still yeah. think aberration. I, I, I think that while this team is not perfect, they're better than that. They're better than what they were yesterday. That was just bad all the way around. That was, And I'm going, I put it on Jim Bob Cooter. I put it on Gus Bradley. I put yeah. it on Shane Steichen. For me, that was coaching debacle. Well, it was. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you look at both sides of the football, the game planning from from Steichen and, you know, the execution of the offense wasn't there. Didn't even give your running backs a chance. And as we talked about with the defense, that, that secondary, Tony, is what should worry you because it will make teams that aren't so good look a lot better because it is not good. Now, will they get experience to get better? That's obviously your hope, but they give up way too many big plays back there. And, you know, they're, they're liable to give it up against teams that you wouldn't expect to give it up to as well. I don't know. Maybe it's a bump of the road. Maybe you're right. Maybe it was the Jacksonville team coming back two two weeks in, in London. Uh, that was good to go. But to me, it just kind of seemed like what this team with the Colts is going to be like too. I mean, you might get a Tennessee type of effort. You might get a Jacksonville type of effort. It's kind of a flip of a coin every week, it seems. JMV, 93.5, The Fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. I appreciate you. More is coming. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. Over at MSNBC, it got noted that a couple of anchors were taken off the air, and people didn't know why. The rumor... The rumor is that they were taken off because they were Muslim. Oh, I don't think that's it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. It was uh, Mehdi Hassan and Ari, Ari Velshi, or Ali, sorry, Ali Velshi, V-E-L-S-H-I, another host taken off. Was it, Were they taken off because they were Muslim and you've got this war in Israel? I don't believe that to be the case and i don't know anything about the inner workings of msnbc and i thought it kind of stunning when representative ocasio cortez decides to go to the twitter box and say in a time of overwhelming developments in the middle east the public needs comprehensive coverage with diverse experience perspectives the removal of muslim anchors during such a sensitive time is highly concerning we must not repeat the mistakes of post-9-11 fervor. I don't know what she's even considering post-9-11 fervor. I was always amazed at how little there was of Islamic hate. You don't point to major things. You could look up minor things that happened, things that should not have happened. Don't get me wrong. But what if, and I'm spitballing here, not knowing anything about the inner workings of MSNBC, what if... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is wrong because she is often very wrong. What if 
these anchors weren't removed because they were Muslim, but something else. As I wrote, while I know nothing of the inner workings of MSNBC, it could have something to do with whether these hosts actively support or rationalize terrorism and the rape of women and the kidnapping of children. Not so sure that would be the diverse perspective even MSNBC would be looking for. Now, do I think that somehow any of these hosts are uh, supportive of terrorism? I don't, actually. But I do think that many of these hosts and many others, as we've seen all across the social media landscape, are desperate to rationalize the actions of Hamas. Maybe that's not a good look. Maybe that's pretty messed up. Maybe, like we saw on college campuses, and I'll get into the whole college campus conversation coming up, um, this is really ugly, and these kids don't know anything, and the people doing this are confused and twisted, and it's time for adults to step in and say, you know what, you don't know much. And maybe that's what happened on MSNBC. Blaming Israel for Hamas attacking them? Oh, it's because Israel exists. You see, now we're getting into it. You're not blaming them for something Israel did. You're blaming them for Israel's existence. If Israel just didn't exist, none of this would happen. Well, that's not a good look either. So maybe that's why they were removed. From what I hear, they're back now. Okay. All right. Could have just been just all planned vacation or something. But it's really important to see where these people are at. The amount of people who want to rationalize terrorism. And it's up to us to say, yeah, we don't want you. We don't want that in our lives. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today.